Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Stories from the Trenches, the Sales Enablement Society podcast that is all about practitioners and the cool things they're doing, and also the things that they're figuring out along the way when they don't exactly go as planned. That's the beauty of it. We're all learning together. This time, I'm excited to bring you a guest that hasn't been on the show before. I want to welcome you, Dell. Dell is here from Maria DB. Would you go ahead and maybe introduce yourself and a little bit about the work you're doing? Paul, it's great to be here with you today. Um, sure. My name is Del Nakai. I am the Senior Director of Global Customer and Revenue Enablement with MariaDB. And we are a database company. So we had forked with MySQL once Oracle had purchased that. We're staying true to our open source roots and really focusing on building the database for all is how we put it. Um, so it's definitely an infrastructure um, sale, which is a complex sale, both from the customer's perspective, as well as the seller's perspective, which is why enablement is so important to what we do. Well, first of all, thank you. Appreciate you spending the time. You shared with me as we were prepping for the show that you also are in the middle of your SKO. So even yes. more amazing that you're <laughs> sitting down with us today. So we really appreciate that. I'm going to start with more of a, the fun question that we usually start with. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Jimmy Kimmel's retiring. And your agent, let's say, just to say you have an agent, your agent calls you and says that they want you to take over that show. You could have anyone you want as your first guest. Who would it be and why? Love that question. That's a fun one. I think I would probably go with Gina Davis. So I recently mm. watched a documentary of the Institute that she's created, Institute of Gender in Media. And it's something that just really intrigues me. I studied sociology in college. So allow me to geek out on this a little bit mm -hmm. uh, just for a moment. But it's really interesting because what she's bringing awareness and attention to is the fact that what you're able to see in real life is what you can model your personal growth and career after. So wanting to just increase the presence of women in different types of roles. And mm -hmm. actually that prompted me to listen to the new book that she's released, which is Dying of Politeness or something like that. So very interesting history and background that she has as an actor. And she's similar to me in that she doesn't like to call herself an actress. The ESS at the end is unnecessary. I would definitely love to talk to her a little bit more about what she's done and what she'd love to do moving forward as well. We've been talking for a couple of weeks about what we'd like to cover on here. So let's start off with relationships or partnerships. I'm talking specifically about with our revenue leaders. Now, I, I know that some people might be thinking, well, yeah, duh, you have a good relationship. Yes. But in my experience, that's a classic, easy to say, not easy to do. 
thing. Exactly. And so if you're okay, let's let's start off with that and, and, and some of the change management and things that you've been able to employ to be effective. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I'm coming across, and I'm sure you are and, and the community as a whole is as well, is the limited amount of time our sellers actually get with our buyers, right? And that seems to be decreasing over time. So maybe in terms of the buying journey, we have about 20% of the buyer's time to spend with a seller, our internal go-to-market organization. So with that limited time, we have to be very conscious of how we're engaging our customer. And there's overall from every single company that I've been at a desire to be more customer centric in terms of how we're engaging our customers. And oftentimes you're dealing with veteran sellers, right? Who have years and years of experience. They're used to doing things a certain way. And that makes it really important for us to focus on a behavior change because it does take a change in behavior for us to be able to move in that direction. So that kind of change is not easy, which is where this partnership becomes really crucial is being able to make some of these really strategic changes that Mm -hmm. allows us to be more customer centric as a company and allows us to be that thought partner with our customers And we're not just enabling our sellers, we're also enabling our buyers. So that that key relationship with our sales leaders is really what drives that kind of change. And in terms of change management, one of the things that I've seen happen is sometimes we jump straight into enablement and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's a desire and need from our stakeholders. And there's a couple steps that we're missing because at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. There's a status quo bias. People are comfortable where they are. Change, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, is not comfortable for us, right? It takes some Mm -hmm. time for that adjustment to happen. And with leaders in particular, they're the ones that can actually have those important conversations around why. Why are we making this change? Why are we doing it now? having some sort of waterfall approach of having the CRO share that message all the way down through to the frontline leaders and also being able to really help that person understand what's in it for me or with them, as a lot of us say, that is really, really important because if they don't internalize the change, if they don't internalize the need to make a change, that is going to be very, very challenging when it comes to wanting to facilitate any kind of behavior change. So as I listen to you, I'm reflecting on some of my own experience and everything you say resonates. When you have a sales organization with possibly multiple routes to market, or if nothing else, multiple tiers of leadership, I have found that they don't always align amongst themselves. Yes. On So to me, that adds almost a third dimension to that change management. And have you maybe done things a little differently to help them start to think about things or at least come to some agreement so that then you can move forward? Yeah, I think it's ultimately comes down to speaking their language, right? So what is it that is important to you? What are you trying to accomplish? What are our key goals this year? And how does this actually support that objective, right? So I think I do experience that. We have that internally at MariaDB right now. There's differences in terms of how different leaders manage. So we want to have a little bit more uniform approach, a little bit more standardized approach to some of the ways that we go to market. I think speaking their language, being able to bring it down to ultimately what their objectives are and how this will help facilitate that really helps drive that. Okay. You've got everyone somewhat aligned, or at least you're all working together towards the same outcome and goal. Is then there something to be that needs to be considered when you're trying to scale that? 
across the organization? Or what should we be thinking about once we get the baseline established? Yeah, I think it's definitely important to think about that. And the way I put it is sustained behavior change. So how do you actually sustain it? Because enablement training, that's usually a single point in time. So how do we actually make that sticky is what is the critical component there. And it comes down to really being able to coach effectively, reinforce the learning and hold people accountable to it, as well as celebrate successes. That's sometimes something that goes by the wayside. And when you're able to hear about a peer who tried something new, different, and it actually benefited them, you're much more likely to be open to that change and want to try it out, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a couple components that I try to dig into with that. One, in terms of coaching, setting up the leaders up for success with that, and that mm-hmm. there's a couple of components within that that we can dig into as well. Also, what does reinforcement actually look like? So how are we going to reinforce the learning that they initially were rolled out so they can really increase their their skills and ability around that. And then being able to make sure that there are KPIs involved, actually, that starts in the beginning of any kind of change initiative is identifying Mm -hmm. that key performance indicator that is going to be how we measure the success of whatever we're rolling out at that time. So being able to bring it back to that, making sure the leaders are holding their team members accountable to that change. Those are some of the things that are, are really key there. I would agree. And yes, I'm excited to actually get into the how do we set them up for success. But I think what could be helpful on the way to that is maybe some more definition around... Well, you know, I think Shaman Thatcher puts it the best way when she says there's a difference between sales enablement is responsible for and sales enablement is responsible to do. And defining those boundaries with our leaders and where they actually should be picking up responsibility and getting some consensus there. So I figure it's maybe coaching and accountability. So I don't know, where would you like to start? Maybe give some people some some tips on getting those boundaries in place. Absolutely. And I share Siobhan's perspective on that because it is really key. It's also important for scaling how we enable, right? We are never going to have the same ratio of enablers to sellers as direct frontline managers to sellers, right? So it's just not sustainable for us to own the responsibility to really coach and get that change and behavior to really be sustainable. A couple of the ways that I've tackled that one is actually identifying and adopting a change management methodology. We use ADCAR at my organization and we do too. Awesome. Yeah. So I love that it addresses the people side of change and I love how Mm -hmm. simple it is. It's very intuitive. We actually enabled our leaders on that change methodology. So we don't just keep it to our team by having them understand what it takes to make any kind of change, especially for larger initiatives Mm -hmm. and explicitly calling out their roles within each step of that process is something that was super helpful to us. I will say at the same time, the expectation as it's stated should come from their leader as well. So from the CRO. Right. Right. So we want to make sure that that is reinforced and reiterated in terms of that expectation, because we can put that out there, but unless we have the support of the executive team on that, it makes it a little bit more challenging. So is this a, a like a matrix or something that breaks it down for them? You know, like I say, I think what you said, each stage of ADCAR, what is their specific role to play in that or facilitates maybe a better word? And so it's like a, an actual visual that you created. Yeah. So I actually put it into three buckets. Um, mm-hmm. The first bucket is being a champion. So mm-hmm. 
How can you be a champion? One, making sure your team understands the why. Addressing fears and concerns is another one because mm-hmm. with change, that usually sparks that fight or flight a little bit. So helping yes. people talk through some of that, right? They're going to be much more open with their frontline manager than anybody else. So giving that time and space for them to have that kind of conversation and not discouraging it, not shying away from it. That is really, really important to any change. Another is being able to coach. So what does that look like? What does that require? The third component is really management essentially. So accountability, reinforcement, praise when someone is successful with what you're trying Mm -hmm. to have them adopt. So I broke it out into those three buckets just to demonstrate and tie back to each of those portions of the change methodology as well. That sounds incredibly useful, actually. I'm I'm sitting here like Mm -hmm. thinking, how can we do that here? Because again, internally as a team, we do use ADCAR, but we have not taken that step that you just described. And now I'm curious, how well is it received in general from the sales leaders? Yeah. So they were very open to it. I think it's a matter though of us reinforcing it and bringing it to the conversation with every initiative that we roll out. So one aspect of ADCAR that I think is really important is communication plans and really getting Mm -hmm. the word out there about what is to come, when Mm -hmm. it's actually in motion, how's it going, who's doing what, being able to celebrate successes. So every time we're rolling anything out, I bring those components back into the conversation. We do sync up with our leaders regularly to make sure that they understand where we are in the process, what we need from them. So always tying it back to that allows us to then have that common language around strategic change. So coming back to some of the things that you and I were talking about, what about roles that are focused specifically on sales execution? Yeah. And I'm seeing this as a new trend. We did have this at my previous company where we had a a VP of sales execution. I think there's a balance there, right? So we want to make sure that we are keeping our ears to the ground, know what's going on, understand how application of what we're rolling out is actually landing, how people are adopting it, how well they're adopting it, how quickly they're picking things up. So I think there's a lot of value in us being involved in coaching team members at the same time, making sure that managers are the ones that are ultimately accountable for that. I think that role in particular is exceptionally important because it allows us to then identify ways to create repeatable success, whereas Mm -hmm. the manager's role is for that particular individual contributor, how did that manager set them up for success, make sure that they can adopt those changes, reinforce it, and get some practice too. That's another key component of coaching, right? Is giving them that opportunity to role play live. Role play is not necessarily something that our sellers love, but it is somebody I've met. <laughs> right? Loves it. Yeah, right. No one loves it. But yeah. it's so important to being able to say the words out loud, right? Speak the right. words in a comfortable, safe space and environment. And the reality is that the salespeople do not report to us. Hopefully, we're able to build a trusted advisor type relationship with at least most of them. But when push comes to shove, it's what their leaders are interested in. That's just the way it is. Okay, so I'm going to share one more. um, Hope she won't mind. Siobhan story. And you've maybe heard this too, but not everybody has. And that is that when she was at, I think it was when she was at Ring Central, one of her senior leaders asked her, well, what are you going to do if they don't complete this certification? And she looked back at him and said, 
No, the question should be, what are you going to do if they don't complete the certification? It is. And it's just so true. We just have to, I think, in enablement sometimes because we are desirous to please and and build relationships and there's nothing wrong with that. But we also need to know when to push back and say, you know what, this actually isn't something I can do alone. This is something that I really need you to own with me and take the lead on and and all Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head with that, right? We want to help people. So it's very, very hard to say no, but it's so Mm -hmm. important to what we do. We actually just rolled out product certification on a particular product. And one of the last steps in the process is the reps actually presenting customer-facing content on mm-hmm. that particular product. And to complete the final certification, my ask of the leaders was, you're going to go into this document and indicate that you feel that this person is certified. They're ready to be Mm -hmm. able to talk about position this particular product. So that Mm -hmm. doesn't come from us. That comes from the leader saying, I have confidence in my team member being able to do that. Absolutely. You know, I think most of them actually know that, but their time is squeezed just as much as everybody's. And when push comes to shove, that's the easy and air quotes thing to set aside. And so then it just gets pushed and pushed and pushed. And so, yeah, you mentioned earlier that enablement has a role in setting those leaders up for success. So it feels like it's time to come back to that now. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. So a couple thoughts on that. One is being able to share that responsibility goes a long way. So we recently rolled out a coaching framework. And one mm-hmm. of the things that we did on my team is take on some coaching responsibility as well. So it's a shared responsibility that allows us again to have our ear to the ground, understand what's going on, how people are actually adopting some of the changes that we're rolling out. Mm-hmm. So I think that indicates the importance of it as well. And what I try to do to your point about the sales leaders being stretched because their focus is on the number, trying to get it to the finish line at the end of every quarter, right? And it can feel a little stressful trying to do all these things simultaneously is Mm -hmm. demystify coaching, um, have it feel less threatening, less time consuming as well, and have a, a straightforward approach that they can take to be able to coach effectively. The framework is something that I feel very strongly about needing for sales leaders. And I think you can relate to this just based on what I know about your history and background, which is a lot of leaders come in as former sellers and they did a great job, right? They're able to go into that kind of role. And oftentimes what I've seen is that leader wants to convey their expertise, their knowledge. Hey, I want to help. I've done this before. Let me help you. This is something you should try. That doesn't always work. There's no one size fits all, right? You mean they're maybe not consciously thinking this, but hey, this worked for me as a rep. So you should do it like me, even though no two of us are exactly alike. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. And it comes from a really, really good place. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just that that's not always the best approach for that particular person. I agree. For that, right? So there's a natural, again, fight or flight response to getting constructive feedback. So you can easily get someone shut down if you take an approach that is ineffective. So I've actually built out a framework that allows the leaders to start with their team members in terms of self-reflection, being able to identify solutions. It gives them ownership first. It, it takes out some of the 
natural tension in terms of having that kind of conversation. It allows Mm -hmm. the leader to reinforce some of the things that the direct report has identified. So having that kind of coaching framework is one of the ways that we try to set leaders up for success in addition to taking on some of that responsibility and being able to reinforce it. Anytime we have any kind of rollout that involves role plays, we do enable our leaders to help lead some of those sessions and practice with the framework as well. So when they go back to their day-to-day, then it's hopefully second nature, right? They've already done that before as well. Another thing that we try to do is leader previews of programs. So anytime Mm -hmm. we're rolling something out, making sure they have all the information, of course, they've been involved in the process from the beginning. Again, identifying KPIs, identifying what direction we want to take an initiative in. Some Mm -hmm. are even involved in the program content creation process, depending on their subject matter expertise and capacity. Um, So I think that is something that is really helpful to set them up for success. One last thing that I've done that we're definitely going to do with our rollout for sales methodology, which is in Q2 for us, and that is building a coaching guide around any key broader initiatives that goes week by week, what they can actually focus on in their one-on-ones, as -hmm. well as their team meetings to reinforce key topics and Mm -hmm keep it top of mind. So it doesn't, again, just fall by the wayside as soon as that enablement session is over. The spiraling you're referring to that needs to continue ongoing on. Yeah. While I was listening to you talk about how you're setting the uh, leaders up for success, I've seen similar efforts on my team, my efforts and other folks I've talked to where there's still a gap in, I'll just say enthusiasm to do the coaching with the leaders. So you've created the frameworks and you've done everything right to right up to the point of them doing the coaching, which only they can do. Have you found similar challenges sometimes? And if so, how have you worked through them? Absolutely. (laughs) I think that is a very natural response, right? And it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of having the time and capacity to coach and thinking Mm -hmm. that it's going to take all of this time. So similar Mm -hmm. to the approach of managing change within a sales organization for the sellers, you have to kind of take a similar approach and understanding with the leaders as far as their ability to coach, their desire to coach, Mm -hmm. uh, them being willing to make that change. If they don't have a regular cadence for coaching, that Mm -hmm. makes it really, really difficult, right? So I'm already Mm -hmm. starting to see some changes where One of our leaders is scheduling one-on-ones, just pure one-on-ones. We used to have like these weekly business reviews with multiple stakeholders involved. That allows him to do that one-on-one coaching as well. So understand that it is going to take time, that you do have to reinforce it, that you shouldn't feel discouraged as soon as you see, hey, this is not actually happening the way we hoped it would. Give them as many tools as it makes sense without overwhelming them. So I love conversation intelligence tools. We use Gong at MariaDB. Mm-hmm. And that's a way for them to be able to quickly coach on things because they can listen, they can add comments. Yeah. They can send recordings to their team members of another seller positioning. We use a platform as well. And, and yeah, and those are all great tools. Yeah. Just don't expect it to happen overnight. Don't expect it to happen. Fair. But if you're trying to build a coaching culture, just mm-hmm. keep reinforcing that and make okay. sure that the CRO is also reinforcing that message and expectation. You've given us a lot to take in and reflect on. As people start to digest it, 
I'm positive one of the first things that's going to all of a sudden be like, okay, where do I start? Right. So this is all really good. So you have some advice for us there on how to get started or, you know, start thinking about it at least. Yeah, I think having regular syncs with your leaders is really, really important, especially Mm -hmm. if you're just establishing an enablement function. I wouldn't necessarily dive into all of this right away. Really understand the needs of the leaders and make sure that you're speaking the same language again with them in terms of what's important to them. What are they trying to accomplish with their team? How -hmm. can we make their jobs easier is ultimately the name of the game. It's almost like train the trainer right? Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to Siobhan's perspective on that. We want to make sure that they are prepared to carry through with some of these initiatives. And if we can equip them to be successful with that, that really helps. And having some of these conversations on a regular basis and checking in is really valuable. One of the things I did recently with one of our sales engineering leaders is talk through, hey, we're not seeing the change that we wanted to see with the discovery enablement that we did a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about that? Why do you think people are struggling to pick that up and apply it? How can we help address this? We collaborated a little bit. We're going to do a survey just to get a a pulse on how people are feeling about it and bring attention back to it so we can start Mm -hmm. to then reinforce it as well. So just create space for us to have some of those conversations. And I think ultimately having the expectation around the role of the manager and where enablement stops and they pick up has to come from their leader. And in this case, it's the CRO. So being able to have that executive sponsorship for this type of expectation is so crucial because otherwise, if we're just saying it ourselves, it's not enough. I think having that reinforcement and backing and support that also allows it to be more successful because in conversations, the CRO is also bringing up Gong, also bringing up, hey, I actually am listening to calls or looking at the transcripts and mm-hmm. giving back where I can. So it becomes a part of the culture as well. This has been a great episode. So thanks. Yeah. But before we wrap up, I want to give you one more chance to drop a little knowledge on all of us. Sure. So as you look back on your career, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, maybe you're in school still even, but you get to have a one-on-one with that younger version of yourself. Yeah. But you can only coach yourself in one area. What have you learned that you wish you could go back and tell yourself about? That's a great question. I think my advice to myself would be to have the confidence to say no. And that mm-hmm. goes to the point that we brought up earlier about our desire to help people. So I studied sociology in college and went straight into social work and nonprofits and mm-hmm. really found my passion when I was able to merge that with helping businesses grow. But because we want to help people, sometimes it makes it very, very challenging to say no. But by saying no, you can be more strategic as an enablement function And maybe it's not no, maybe it's just not now, or let's talk about this. Let's figure out how it weighs into the broader objectives that we have to our enablement Mm -hmm. charter. So having the conviction and the confidence to be able to say no when you need to. Thanks. Well, everybody, we are at the end of another episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation with Del Nakai as much as I have. Thank you again, Del, for your time. And everybody else, thank you for your time. We really appreciate the time you spend with us every two weeks. And we'll be back with another episode later this month. Take care. 
Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org. 